Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. We're going to unwrap some of the mysteries of the universe by going back in time using telescopes. To the nature of the universe, when we stare at light from long-forgotten stars, we're actually peering back to the periods right after the Big Bang, the cosmic dawn or the cosmic noon, and we can learn a lot about star formation and the fundamental rules of the universe by staring at this light from old stars. This week, what old stars can tell us as we travel back in time using telescopes. One of the great things about astronomy is you can actually time travel with it. Now, not in the way that you think, but it actually is a nature of astronomy. Because light takes time to travel a distance, the speed of light in fact, we can actually peering back in time. Because even the sunlight you see from the sun left the sun around 7 minutes ago. So if you want to think about it objectively, the light hitting your eyes when you add on a sunny day is actually light from some point in the past. And the further we look away, the more and more back in time we go. And this is immensely useful for astronomers because we get to actually look at some of the early history of the universe. In fact, that's what people do when they study the cosmic microwave background radiation. We're peering back to the period almost immediately after the Big Bang. And now a team of international researchers, led by NASA researchers, including people from Goddard Space Flight Center, have been studying what they have deemed the farthest galaxy away. Now we know a galaxy far, far away and a long time ago. In this case, it's far, far, far away and a very long time ago. Now, they estimate this trio of galaxies called EGS 77 dates from when the universe was only 680 million years old. Now, the current estimate for the age of the universe is around 13.8 billion years ago. And these are from when the universe was about 5% of that. So, from an incredibly early period of time in the universe. Much older than our Earth, of course, which is around 4.6 billion years, and almost as old as the universe itself. Now, this is pretty fascinating to think about, because what their scientists are looking at when they look at this light is actually some of the earliest galaxies ever formed. And the universe has gone through different stages, and understanding how this transition between the different stages is incredibly important for understanding how the universe is formed, what processes took place in the early universe that result in the shapes that we see around us today, and also about the distribution of matter and energy across the universe itself, all of which helps us understand fundamental forces governing the universe. Now, these galaxies are participating in what's called a sweeping cosmic makeover called reionization. This is when light from the first stars begin to change the nature of hydrogen itself throughout the universe. Thinking about it another way, it's like when a frozen lake melts in spring. The early universe was full of these dark, light-quenching early cosmos, and now the light in the universe around us is filled with lights of all these little stars that we can see around us. There was a lot of hydrogen atoms uh, in the young universe, and they're interesting because they actually attenuate ultraviolet light, and they block out our view of early galaxies. Now, EGS 77 is one of those first galaxies that's actually clearing out this misty cosmic fog of all this absorption from the hydrogen atoms and helps us peer back underneath the cover of this early universe. So the early universe was actually shrouded in this cloud of hydrogen which attenuated a lot of different types of light, which prevents us from seeing them but also prevented light from getting out places. 
Now, it's not the furthest galaxy away that's been observed, but it is the furthest one that shows a specific reionization process taking place. You're able to see the transmission, this melting of this lake in not quite real time, you know, 13 million years later, but you're actually getting an insight into the way the early universe actually formed. So after the Big Bang, the universe was a glowing plasma of particles, which had electrons, protons, atomic nuclei, and light. Atoms weren't able to exist yet just because of the state the universe was in. The universe was in such an ionized state, similar, I guess, to a gas inside a neon sign or a fluorescent tube. Then the universe expanded and cooled for about 380,000 years. At that point, the universe had sort of stabilized enough for electrons and protons to be able to combine to form the first atoms. And the majority of these, more than 90%, were hydrogen. Now, fast forward a bit more, around 100 million years, you actually start to get these hydrogen coalescing and forming and collapsing in on themselves, stars, then lots of stars in the same area forming a galaxy. Now, these huge amounts of hydrogen made it possible for those stars and galaxies to form in the early universe, but it also made it pretty difficult to spot them looking back because it absorbs certain types of light. Now, hydrogen atoms readily absorb and quickly re-emit far ultraviolet light, which is called Lyman alpha emission. For those playing along at home, it's got a wavelength of around 121.6 nanometers. Now, a lot of the early stars produced a lot of light with that characteristic, which meant it all got absorbed by the hydrogen, and you couldn't see it. Basically, the light from that stars was scattered by the hydrogen gas just floating around it, scattering it out in random directions, basically acting like a big shroud or fog around it. But what happened for EGS-77 is that if you get an, enough of that light, you can ionize all of the surrounding hydrogen, it gets sort of used up, for want of a better word, and then there's enough that some starlight can escape and travel freely. And EGS-77 has a huge bubble that allowed its light to actually travel all the way to Earth over all this time and space. Now, eventually, bubbles like this grew around all galaxies and filled all of intergalactic space with all of this reionized cosmos, which enabled us to be able to see the starlight today. And that's pretty amazing to think about. Now, this particular galaxy was discovered as part of the Cosmic Deep and Wide Narrowband Survey, or Cosmic Dawn. To do this, the team imaged a small area in the constellation Bootes using a certain type of filter on the Kitt Peak Observatory in Tucson, Arizona. Now, they used this to try and identify different types of wavelengths of light, filter all that out, and keep just the stuff that they're interested in. And that's how they managed to find this one source. Now, it's actually three different galaxies, all with their own different Lyman alpha emissions, which is how they were found, and they're about 2.3 million light years apart. So they're closer than Andromeda, the nearest galaxy to us, and our own Milky Way, but still a huge distance apart. Now, this is fascinating because it's the first time a whole cluster of galaxies, in this case, a small little local group of galaxies, has been seen with the process of ionization of the galaxy taking place. We actually appeared back in time through into the past to see the way in which our universe was shaped and enabling us to see starlight in the first place. And we're actually watching that take place in, you know, in replay motion here by watching these stars in EGS 77's galaxies. This is some great work that was presented at the 235th meeting of the American Astronomical Society in Honolulu by a large team of researchers, including Vaithel Tilvi, Sankitha Maholtra, and many others from Goddard and a number of other universities.
Looking back into the early universe can also shed light on some pretty interesting mysteries of how stars and galaxies were devoured by supermassive black holes. Now this is what some researchers from the European Space Agency and the Max Planck Institute for Astronomy in Heidelberg, led by Manuel Paolo Farina, have recently published in the Astrophysical Journal. But they're trying to piece together how we ended up with these supermassive black holes that were forming at the centre of the very first galaxies. And the big problem is that we, we could see that there was these massive, supermassive in fact, black holes created by the earliest of stars. But astronomers weren't sure how these supermassive black holes were able to grow so large so early on in the history of the universe. 12 billion years ago, when the universe was only almost a billion years old, there weren't very many stars there to chow down on or eat. And in fact, some of the large stars collapsed in on themselves, creating these giant black holes is incredibly fascinating because they grew and grew and kept growing. So what were they eating? Well, the ESO's very large telescope was able to observe these reservoirs of cool gas scattered around some of the earliest galaxies across the universe. These big gaseous halos are actually superfood for supermassive black holes, and the consumption of these would have given them enough fuel to expand to huge sizes. This black hole food of gas and dust would enable them to bulk up really, really fast, but it wasn't until now that we actually got the data to back up that hypothesis. Now the problem is, all this gas and dust that's black hole food is also seed for stars. Yeah, all of that large scattering gas of halos of gas actually led to the explosion in the number of stars. So if the stars are chomping up all of that food, what's there left for the black holes? And that was a big problem facing the researchers. So the researchers used the MUSE instrument on the ESO's very large telescope in the Chilean Atacama Desert. Normally it's used to study quasars, which are extremely bright objects pulsing of light created by supermassive black holes that are at the centre of these galaxies. And they studied 31 of these quasars. And they could quantify the light from those stars to actually understand that they're around 12.5 billion years old. And at that point, the universe is only around 870 million years old, which is almost an infant. Slightly older than the story we talked about earlier, but still pretty young. Now, 12 of those quasars were surrounded by these huge pools of gas, halos of cool, dense hydrogen gas, that extended for 100,000 light years around the black holes themselves. And that means it's huge, billion times the mass of the sun, pool of gas there, that could be consumed and eaten. And they were tightly bound to the galaxies, but sort of trapped in there by the gravitational pull of these galaxies, meaning that there was a perfect food source to sustain both star formation and the formation of these supermassive black holes. And they were quite common around these very early galaxies. You can see this faint glow or this halo, and that halo, this gas nebula, not only led to the creation of some of these fascinating galaxies that we can see, but also to this creation of these giant black holes. And this is only possible by using this extremely large telescope's detailed analysis to study these quasars from billions of years ago. Another case of peering back in time using telescopes to be able to study the earliest periods of the universe. And this was published in the journal, the Astrophysical Journal. Thank you.
Now, we've talked a bit this episode about the early part of the universe, the cosmic dawn, roughly when the universe was one billion years old or less. But now we're going to talk about a different area, and still a formative period of the universe's history, but one a little bit more recent, between 8 and 11 billion years ago. This is called the Cosmic Noon. Now, this part of the universe's history is very interesting, because if you look up at the stars in the heavens at the moment and see the myriad of things out there that you can see and those beyond what you can see with the naked eye and what we can observe using telescopes, the majority of stars out there were born in this cosmic noon period between 8 to 11 billion years ago. So that means compared to our own sun and our own planet Earth, roughly 4.6 billion years old, these are a little bit older. Now this batch of stars born in the cosmic noon make up some of the brightest spots of the galaxies and including some also some supermassive black holes but what makes this period of time so fascinating is that you're actually looking at the bulk of the observable universe the problem is this error is actually pretty difficult to observe because this error sort of gets clouded over by all the current stars the ones for more recent and shine brighter and closer to us for that nature. And obstacle telescopes can see distant galaxies, but often things get in the way. These newer stars are often hidden behind dusty clouds of gas, or obscured by other galaxies getting in the way. So how can you peer beyond that? Well, that's where radio telescopes come in. Now, radio telescopes don't worry about the light being particularly strong or faint, or getting mixed up with light from other stars, or getting covered over by dusty gas clouds. Radio telescopes can see through those dust clouds and peer into the distant past and see this cosmic noon period, this large amount of stars being born. But to do so, you need a pretty powerful radio telescope. And that's where a telescope like the South African Radio Astronomy Observatory, or SARO, Meerkat Telescope, comes in. Now, you can actually piece together using SARO, it's Meerkat, an actually intricate piece of the cosmic noon set of galaxies, the galaxies that are responsible for most of the star formation in the universe. Again, we're talking about the galaxies that formed most of the stars we can see today. And you can get this picture by using a radio telescope. That's what's recently published, the researchers using SARO in the Astrophysical Journal, including lead author Tom Malk. And they use 64 different dishes in this radio observatory and scan the skies for a period of about 130 hours, and then piece that image all together. Now, a radio image is different to a light image or an optical image, but it can still show an awful amount. It shows a region of the sky that is comparable to the surface area of about five full moons. So not the entire night sky, but a still a reasonably significant portion. And it contains tens of thousands of galaxies. Now, that alone is spectacular to think about. Not one, like the Milky Way, that you can see the band of, or two, like Andromeda. No, 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 a cluster, tens of thousands of those galaxies, each filled with millions of stars themselves. Now, because radio waves travel at the speed of light as well, this is, again, a time machine back into the past. Now, the interesting part about using a radio telescope is that you only get a brief window of time when a star will send out radio waves, generally short-lived stars that are less than 30 million years old. So that means you can filter out all the other older stars and really only see these young stars being born in this key formative period back in time. And that is pretty exciting to see. That means we can actually get a really good idea about star formation in the early universe. 
Not to say that necessarily these stars have made it or gone on to do something that we don't know yet, mainly because, again, we're looking into the past. We don't know the story that pans out for these stars, but we get to see how these stars formed, this sample of galaxies, 10,000 of them strong, how they formed and grew and changed over time. Specifically, at this early period of the universe, around 8 to 11 billion years ago, when the universe was only maybe a toddler, if you wanted to compare it to the baby as we talked about earlier. And what this data shows, as key author Alison Matthews points out, the first results indicate the star formation rate around the cosmic noon is even higher than originally expected. Previous images could only detect the tip of the iceberg, the rare and luminous galaxies that produced a small fraction of the universe's stars. What we see now is a complete picture. These faint dots are galaxies that formed most of the stars of the universe. Only in the last few years has radio telescopes really got to the point where we can rely on them to do this deep dive back into the past to find these faint initial stars that were forming in the early universe. And good news is we're going to have even more radio telescopes come online like Meerkat. The square kilometre array that's being built in Australia and the very large array are two other large radio telescope arrays made of hundreds of radio telescopes all working together in unison are going to really help us peer back into the past and study all corners of the universe. And this is some great research that was published in the Astrophysical Journal, but it goes to show how much we can learn from studying the different points of the universe using different techniques to gain an insight into how our universe was formed today. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. We've gone back in time and stared at the mysteries of the universe formation, how large black holes got their food, how stars were formed, and what we can learn by going back in time with telescopes. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.